The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, very sore from this past weekend's 10 mile road race the first running race I've participated in since before the pandemic. I did not run a personal best time, but I did score the personal best for fun, running with a friend I hadn't seen in a while, taking it slowly and catching up on all our life stories on such a beautiful morning that the 10 miles went by super fast despite our slower pace. There is nothing slow-paced about how Citizens Climate Lobby advocates for a price on carbon, and I was happy to have the chance to catch up with Conservative Caucus leaders Drew Eyerly and Jennifer Tyler. Um, in late March, they led a fly-in with the Conservative Caucus volunteers who came from across the U.S. for meetings with their lawmakers. Listeners, I won't spoil the details, so stay tuned for my conversation with Drew and Jennifer coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. As promised, I have some of our friends from CCL's Conservative Caucus here to join me in conversation. Welcome, Drew. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having us. It's uh, great to have old friends. Uh, We've just met each other, but I consider anyone from CCL an old friend on the show. So for listeners who are not familiar, familiar with the Citizens Climate Lobby, I thought maybe, Drew, you could just give them kind of the elevator pitch on um, what the organization is um, supporting and what y'all have been doing recently. Yeah, so we are a nonpartisan organization. Uh, We have people from all walks of life, different backgrounds, um, Republicans, uh, Libertarians, Democrats, uh, anything you name it. Um, And our whole mission is for sustainable climate policy and advocating for it. And um, toward that end is that I know that you guys are um, primarily supportive of the carbon dividend plan. So um, maybe for some of those folks who aren't familiar with the dividend plan, you could also give them a little uh, 101 on what that would mean. <laughs> well, for me, um, it is the the conservative solution to climate change. Um, things that I like about it is that, you know, it places a fee at the the source where carbon intensive products come into, uh, society basically for me, um, whether it's the wellhead or imports coming, you know, from other countries, uh, we place a fee on, you know, based on the carbon intensity of that product. Um, hundred percent net revenue of that fee is collected. It's not a tax, not used to grow government, um, and it's returned to individual households to help offset costs. And then they let the individual household decide how they spend that money. Um, do they want to invest it in you know, renewable? Um, do they want to use it for health care? What, what do they need to use it for? Yeah. Uh, which you know, really gives the free market approach and limited government overreach. Um, it's just it hits all the points for me as a conservative for addressing this issue. Um, Jennifer, you guys had um, some lobby days recently up here on Capitol Hill. Was this the first one that was back in person after the pandemic? 
I feel like there were so, a few years where you were online. Yeah, so we did do our first one back from COVID last year, our first conservative uh, conference, but we didn't do a lobby day because the Hill was not fully reopened at that time. So this was our first one where we were actually able to go and lobby in person on the Hill, get in those congressional offices. So it was extremely exciting to see the cafeteria full again with CCO volunteers uh, meeting folks in the hall. Uh, it was It was a great time. All in all, how many people came and attended? We had, uh, on the first day, a hundred, a hundred plus in attendance uh, on that, yeah, on the first day. A hundred plus CCL volunteers. And just noting for listeners, these are volunteers who pay their own way to come to Washington if they aren't, you know, local enough that they can drive home at the, or, you know, train home at the end of the event, they pay for their hotels and their food. So like people who are super committed to the cause. Yes, ma'am. So, and that's what really blows me away is that we have people from all over the country, um, all different walks of life as well, from, you know, your white collar businessmen to truck drivers, all different age demographics, and all Republican coming to talk about this issue. So, and yes, they're all paying their own way. That's how important it is to them. Do you know approximately how many meetings these volunteers were able to have while they were here? We had 24 meetings, give or take one or two. Mm -hmm. And kind of a mix of the House and the Senate. Yes, ma'am. What yeah, it was a of- mix of the House and the Senate, and we did, uh, we were able, we were pleased, we got a lot of committee leadership uh, meetings, so Chairman Westerman, Chairwoman Morse Rogers uh, on the House side, so so we got a lot of uh, the players who were talking about some of these major climate policies that are going through Congress right now, so we were, we were pleased with the geographic distribution of our meetings, as well as talking to some of the kind of heavy hitters who are really talking to leadership and crafting some of these policies we're interested in. Do you feel like, I know that... Um... We differ a little bit slightly, our organizations, in that, um, I mean, obviously, we would be super thrilled to see a carbon dividend plan enacted because it meets the the value of what Drew was saying, that you are assessing the fee at the point where the pollution happens, but then with that fee, you aren't growing the government, so you're returning it back to, um, to the people. And, you know, our executive director, Bob Inglis, he has a kind of slight preference, I would say, for an approach that would use that revenue to cut payroll tax, which kind of does the same thing, right? You're not using it to create a new department of climate change or whatever. Unfortunately, our version has the T word attached to it, right? Carbon tax, um, which it's really hard to get people excited about a tax, um, the T word I like to call it. Um, So would you say that 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 you feel like there's good reception for this idea of a dividend plan where those funds are returned to people. It's hard to argue against that. Yeah, I definitely think there's, there's good reception to it. Um, And we're seeing growing interest on the Republican side of, of the aisle. We've got a number of different kind of carbon pricing proposals out there, whether it's a dividend model um, or others are talking about ways to to do it with something like you're suggesting, cutting payroll taxes, taking maybe some of those revenues and putting them towards transitioning coal communities towards cleaner energy, things like that. So the question of what to do with revenue is definitely up for debate. But we're also seeing a lot of interest on the trade side of things. So as we see some of these other countries and regions do things like the EU CBAM carbon border adjustment mechanism going forward, that's going to put increased pressure on us and many other countries to come to the table. So we're seeing a lot of interest, particularly in the Senate, on figuring out how can we do something on the CBAM side, uh, which in the end is ultimately just going to keep pushing us towards 
addressing addressing our carbon emissions through some sort of pricing down the road. And I also do want to flag, you know, there's a lot of good discussion on carbon pricing, but given everything going on right now in Congress, a lot of our lobby meetings were focusing on permitting reform. That was our primary focus of our lobby day. Um, so I don't want to jump the gun. I'm sure we'll get into it. Uh, but there was there was tremendous reception from Republicans talking about the climate impacts of, of permitting reform. Yeah, so let's go ahead and dive in and talk about permitting reform. I feel like it's kind of the buzzword of um, of this congressional session. And uh, we had an episode that aired um, recently with a reporter who follows energy and environment for e News. And she talked about this, too. And, you know, it sort of really became the hot button issue when um, Senator Manchin from West Virginia was um, negotiating for his vote on the Inflation Reduction Act. And he firmly believes um, that permitting reform is needed. And 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 it is right. And, And I think both. Democrats and Republicans see that we need to do something, especially if we're going to have an infusion of renewable energy into the grid. We can't do sort of modern energy with old infrastructure and old rules is the way that I look at it. So what were some of the main messages that you are hearing and and prospects for something um, moving through Congress? Yeah, well, I think, you know, our starting point, uh, last Congress was obviously a big Congress with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. And even though that was a party line vote and party line bill, um, that's where a lot of this impetus is coming from to get the Democrats to kind of come to the table. Permitting reform has been a Republican priority for a decade or or longer. You know, there have been Republican proposals introduced every single Congress. And now with the passage of the IRA and studies that have come out showing that We'll only get about 20% of the emissions reductions benefits from the IRA if we do not do permitting reform. So there's 80% of those emissions reductions that would be left that we would not be able to obtain if we don't do permitting reform. Those kind of stats, I think, are pushing Democrats to come to the table and really make this a bipartisan discussion where we see that something could actually get done. So we saw Republicans move forward in the House with their proposal and our lobby day actually coordinated really well on timing with that, where Republicans were already thinking of permitting reform. And our big push is for a bipartisan proposal to move forward. You know, we know there's different uh, different sticking points on each side, but we really want to bring the two sides together. Uh, and that was our message to Republicans was moving forward. Let's talk to Democrats. Let's figure out where the common ground is. And let's put in place common sense permanent reform that's going to allow us to get clean energy on the grid quicker, create more jobs, but also ultimately reduce our emissions. Are there um, who are some of the key Republicans who are leading on this conversation? Yeah, I would say on the House side, you've got Chairman Westerman, uh, who's chair of the Natural Resources Committee, who's been kind of designated one of the heads uh, of this. And we had a really lengthy meeting with him, which was really exciting, where he popped in and ended up staying for upwards of 45 minutes, I think, talking talking to our folks. Um, and he's incredibly engaged, and he is working uh, with folks on the other side of the aisle. And then uh, Garrett Graves, Representative Garrett Graves out of Louisiana, and of course, Chairwoman McMorris Rogers, uh, Chair of Energy and Commerce, is very engaged because of the jurisdiction that that committee has. And then on the Senate side, there's a bunch of Republicans interested, Senator Cassidy, Senator Kramer, um, a number of, of others, but uh, a few that we're particularly engaged with. Um, so I wanted to make a little pivot, actually, and ask Drew. Um, we have recently had on the show a couple different, um, we had one episode that was um, that featured a prominent or a passionate, I would say, angler out in Montana 
who works with Trout Unlimited, and then um, followed that up with an episode recently with an avid hunter. And um, so just really lately, I've been thinking a lot about how when you are a hunter and angler, you have a connection to the land. And when we were talking about a little bit before Jennifer joined our um, our Zoom, you mentioned that you'd moved to Georgia, really fell in love with the outdoor um, recreational possibilities down there. So talk a little bit about how the issue of climate change is personal to you as an avid outdoorsman. Absolutely. Um, so when I got hired, this was an area that I really wanted to tap into because of my background. Um, I caught my first fish when I was seven. I, you know, harvested my first deer when I was 12 and I have never looked back since everything I do is outdoor related. Um, but in those years, I've definitely, you know, I'm 35 now. I have noticed, you know, massive changes. A lot of the trout streams that I used to fish in, they, they have to shut them down earlier because, you know, water temps rising. So there's not as much dissolved oxygen in the water, you know, and even just, you know, catching a trout is enough to, you know, shock them and, you know, create fish kills. You know, couple that with, you know, eutrophication from, you know, sheet flow and stuff like that, putting nutrient overload into the water. And it's just really having a horrible impact on, you know, the fishing side of stuff. Uh, on the hunting side, um, ACC has a really great class through their Market Environment Academy um, where they talk about this, uh, but like for duck hunting you're not getting those cold fronts during the regular seasons that are pushing the ducks further enough south to where duck hunting is really popular um, during the seasons. So today you have to hunt four times as long to harvest as many ducks as you had, as, as you needed to 20 years ago. Um, and that's having a huge impact on the economic side of everything. Uh Hunters and anglers with the license that we buy, the tackle, the gear, the the guns, the ammo, um, that provides what sixty percent, I believe, of the overall um, economic support for that industry. So, um, and conservation side too, right? Like people travel to come down there. Yeah. to you have hotels and restaurants and and that whole economic. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's it's just, it's 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 devastating. People aren't interested, so they're not buying. They don't that long so they're, they're not buying hunting licenses and stuff anymore that's interesting and so was that your foray into working on climate change was um you were outdoors outdoorsy kind of person and you were seeing these changes and thought oh i have to make this connection and help connect other people uh, actually mine was the military uh-huh. it was seeing um it was energy infrastructure uh, yeah i've got a video out commercial video for us but it took a long time but i started with energy infrastructure and especially from the military aspect and you know the amount of casualties coming off the fossil fuel routes um as well as exposure to opponents grade diesel exhaust and things like that and so that, that led me to a degree in environmental management which kind of brought me around to climate change and got me connected with ccl We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Well, I will say um, as an aside that um, some listeners may have heard me say this before, but my um, former boss who's passed away a couple of years ago, Senator John Warner, he first got interested in climate change in part because these retired flag officers were visiting him and he had was a longtime senior member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, as well as the Environment and Public Works Committee. So he kind of had those two hats. 
And they were saying to him, listen, this is a national security issue. It's a security issue for men and women serving overseas for the United States. It's, you know, they're going to be resource wars, um, you know, famines, droughts, and all these destabilizing impacts of climate change. And that meant a lot to Senator Warner, who was also an avid outdoorsman. So kind of putting those um, those pieces together compelled him um, to to get into the climate game. Jennifer, what about you? What kind of brought you to the table on climate change? Yeah, you know, I've always been outdoorsy, maybe not in the same way as Drew. I'm a, I'm a vegan, so on the other side of things. Uh, but um, I've always been outdoorsy, but I, after graduating college, uh, I grew up in the D.C. area. I started working on the Hill. Um, someone told me, you know, when you're young and you can make no money, now's the time to do it. Uh, and I just fell in love um, with being a part of the policy operations in Congress. Um, and environmental policy was one of those areas that really stood out to me as a place where there was so much bipartisan momentum. There was so much bipartisan agreement, but there were very few groups willing to work in that space, work on both sides of that issue. Um, there were groups, you know, I was in a Republican office. There were many rightly groups who came in to talk to us, very few left-leaning groups. And I know it was the same way on the Democratic side of the aisle. So my kind of personal passion for the outdoors and, and interesting climate policy kind of led me to this, this vein of really wanting to work for a group like CCL that works in that bipartisan space and really works on building the political will for uh, for you know, meaningful climate policy, bringing both both folks together, recognizing that it can't be done by one party or the other. Um, it has to be a joint movement. So that's that was really my my impetus. Talk for me a minute, guys, about the spirit of these volunteers. We hit on it a little bit with the folks that come to town and they spend their own money to to advocate for this. But the entire CCL network, it you cover all fifty states. As Drew said earlier, you have people from all walks of life, younger people, older people, different careers and backgrounds. So what's the secret sauce? How do you have this vast network of such passionate, dedicated volunteers? All right. So for me, uh, it's something that I am very passionate about here and why I love CCL so much is that, um, you know, it's it's the positive approach. It's the the taking time to understand uh, where other people are coming from, uh, instead of just demanding that they meet you where you are. It's uh, everybody is there, you know, as a team. Um, everybody understands that they're they're there for different reasons, but they're there also there for a common goal. Like my very first CCL conference back in 2016, I was just blown away by 12, 1300 people from, um, again, all different walks of life, standing up and applauding this one common solution. And it's, it's just, it's inspiring, you know, um, to think that, you know, if we can do this here, we can do this on any issue. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, they, these, everybody becomes your friends that become your family. Uh, it's a lot of work that goes into these conferences and you get a little stressed out, but then you get there in the day of, and the volunteers are there and everybody's just so appreciative. And it's like, this is why, this is why we do this. Yeah. I'll just say, you know, I think, one thing that strikes me, and I first met CCL volunteers when I was a, a staffer on the Hill, so that was my first engagement, was how amazingly prepared and knowledgeable they were on the topic. Uh, like Drew said, ready to meet me where I was, weren't pushing me to do something I or my boss was uncomfortable with, uh, but just had all of the answers to any question I would have. And that's something that I continue to see in CCL volunteers. You know, it, it, Congress can seem like this very 
you know, mystifying kind of closed door lobbyists walking in and out. But CCL really is based on, you know, citizen lobbyists. All CCL volunteers are able to have as much impact as you would think any kind of DC insider, quote unquote, can have meeting with their member of Congress, having those one on one conversations. And I think that empowerment and that knowledge that they are making that change only strengthens their interest, their commitment, and helps them bring other folks along to recognize that, you know, everyday Americans, those are the people who ultimately are going to be able to change these things and really make progress on this. So it's so inspiring for me to see how how committed and just how, how knowledgeable uh, and passionate our volunteers are. So if we have some listeners who are not CCL members and they want to join, what do you recommend they do? I would say go to the webpage. And there's all kinds of join options in there. Um, or you can reach out to me, uh, andrew.irely at citizensclimatelobby.org. Um, and I will gladly, I do I help out with the membership team and all that stuff. I will gladly connect you with a local chapter. You can go test the waters out, see what, if it's something that's for you. And uh, if it is, we would love to have you at any of our events. Right, because that's also, I think, a really nice thing about CCL is that you aren't just this big national organization with a lot of volunteers. You work at the hyper-local level and you have these local chapters. And so I'm assuming those local chapters can also, um, you know, you bring people in connecting on sort of a shared concern of something that you might be seeing climate-wise in your own um, backyard. So a great way to meet other activists and other volunteers. And um, so, yeah. All right. Well, thank you both so much for um, joining us today and uh, any upcoming events or anything that you want to um, share with our listeners, or are you kind of done for the season on your um, Hill and, and conference activities? We do have our upcoming June conference uh, that will be in the beginning of June, and that's our national annual conference where we have all of our CCL volunteers come in, hundreds and hundreds of folks fly into town, and we'd love to have new folks join us. Uh, We will be doing a lobby day in conjunction with that meeting with hundreds of of offices on the Hill in both the House and the Senate talking about some of these top-of-mind climate priorities, so we'd love to have folks join us in June. Oh, I just actually, now that you're mentioning that, I just saw an email that announced that um, former Congressman Francis Rooney is going to make a keynote at that event. So a very pro-carbon pricing member when he was in office. Um, We did some events in Florida with him. Great, great, great guy. So, um, all right. Well, thank you so much and best of luck. And um, I hope to see you out in the climate pricing world at some point. I think it's that June conference that um, in the past you've had a, an event, right? A, a conservative caucus event that, that maybe Republic Ian. Conservative like mixer. Yeah. yeah. Conservative session event. Uh, one of those nights, a lot of people swing by and ten. We just meet at the local restaurant and get to know each other and talk some more. So. Well, let me know. Maybe I'll pop by. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you both so much for all you do. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Chelsea. Rice, I couldn't help but notice that it looked like your family was doing a little running over the weekend before we sat down to record. <laughs> Virtual 5K. That um, Wow. And yeah. Ben ran the whole thing. I uh, ran walked. Um, <clears throat> walked. That counts. It was, yeah. It was a little combo. My wife did it with him and 
and my daughter, we were the uh, the bikers, the official uh, virtual running photography crew, getting up Everyone ahead. Everyone needs their own crew, you know. Getting ahead, getting the uh, mile markers ready for when they got to us. So it's you know it takes a team effort. Uh, it was a team effort. Got on the Swamp Rabbit Trail in the upstate of South Carolina and had a beautiful morning, and uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Well, I'm wondering if he beat my ten miler time. He probably like could have run five of his five Ks in the time it took me to run ten miles this weekend. But um, yeah, I did a race myself, but it was not virtual. So, but first pre first race since pre pandemic. So you know, kind of getting back in that mindset of mm-hmm. um, you know running with people, which I don't yeah. normally do. Anyway, speaking of running and competitions, not that this is a competition, yeah, but. Uh, Great, great episode with our CCL friends. You know, they're everywhere. There are so many of them, and they're doing such a great job spreading the word about carbon fee and dividend. And I loved hearing about how they came to the Hill with the Conservative Caucus for their lobby day. You know, Bob would agree we cannot underestimate the importance of lawmakers hearing from their constituents about mm-hmm. the policies that they support. So um, nice it with the pandemic gone, people can come back and get in the buildings again and go see their members and exercise their um, some of their democratic rights. Yep. And nobody, as I was telling somebody late last week, nobody does the kind of work in a at the volume that they do like the folks at CCL. And, you know, I know our conservative caucus friends are, I don't want to say extra special to us, but, um, you know, they they are reaching even, you know, they are reaching the niche that we are trying to reach in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, well, there's a lot of overlap, I think. Right. And, um, you know, they what CCL can provide is an avenue for um, is an avenue for lobbying, which is obviously right. not what we do. So I think right. that the efforts are all complementary and it is nice to feel like we have, um, you know, just so that. The thing that I like when I hear someone is a CCL volunteer, and especially those that are in the conservative caucuses, that I just know that they're out there, they're doing something. They don't need direction from us, right? They're on it. (laughs) They're like a funnel. I feel like sometimes we funnel our members to them. They want to do something more. um, They want to do that more direct outreach. And so that's the avenue to do it with. And we are the ones that sort of get them over like, come on into the carbon pricing water. It's warm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and for those that you know that are listening that may not be aware, um, and I feel like I say it often, whether it's internally to our team or to other folks, you know, that we work with, that for our listeners that aren't aware that you know we are a five hundred one c three, that we don't do any uh, endorse, we cannot do any endorsing of legislation, giving to candidates, uh, lobbying. We don't do any lobbying political work of any kind. And people say, well, hold on, you're conservatives working on the eco-right. Well, yeah, that's true. But we operate as a nationwide educational campaign. So while, like you said, I think you articulate it pretty well there where we don't um, drill in on the specific you know, HRs or the specific member and go to that member's office with, you know, five, six people. You know, we, we, we operate differently where we're kind of instead of the top down where we're, you know, more grassroots building constituencies in different areas and pockets around the country. So for those that were curious at home and listening today. 
Yeah, there is a difference. And I, I also think that sometimes the, the L word um, lobby mm-hmm. gets a little bit of a bad rap because maybe people read about or have read in the past about lobbyists that, you know, did illegal things. Or I remember going to one of my high school reunions and saying I was the lobbyist and someone thought that meant I had a three martini lunch every day. And I've, yeah. like, I've never had a one <laughs> martini lunch. So <laughs> there we go. And there's like this like kind of fat cat impression, right? Of like somebody who's a lobbyist, but really lobbyists are the people that go and address their grievances to Congress. And that is a protected right in the constitution. So <laughs> I have one friend that likes to say it is the one profession that is in enshrined in the constitution. So there we go. It's a, it's a job that somebody has to do. We don't do it, but happy to educate people and then let them kind of take it from there. Yeah. We, we do not, uh, we do not have a spot or I couldn't even tell you how to get to K street. I can look it up, but I don't know how to (laughs) get there because I've spent very little time over the years there in DC. Instead, it's not K Street for us. It's G Street, and I mean GMU, George Mason University, where we're housed out of the Center for Climate Change Communication. So that's just peeling the Main Street, right? Like it's Main Street. When we think about all the like the Rotary Club meetings Bob goes to, he's talking to sort of like everyday people that have regular jobs, and like that's who he's talking to, not the the K Street lobbyists. And honestly. Post pandemic, I'm sure that a lot of those K Street offices are no longer physical offices. Yeah. <laughs> so many people are working from home now, but we digress. Yep. Next week, Price um, in the CCL family, because why not? Um, Emily O'Keefe is a student at the College of William and Mary in Virginia, and she has taken on this effort that is not unlike some other efforts we're familiar with. Um, to bring, um, to build support, to build a movement f- to support carbon fee and dividend around, around across college campuses. And in fact, I asked her if she knew our friends at um, Students for Carbon Dividends in our in our conversation, in our interview, which listeners will get next week. And she was about to have a meeting with them. So um, just good to see young people out there advocating for what they believe in and organizing more voices to continue to support um the elusive price on carbon that we would like to see. Yes, we're very excited to have her next week, and we will have that for you on Tuesday, or at least dropping next Tuesday. Um, dropping now are a couple of new members that we've had sign up uh, since last week to stand with us, which you can do at republican.org forward slash join. Richard B. in Michigan, Jack S. in Texas, Marie T. in Idaho, Nate S. in Virginia, and Martha B. in Mississippi. Thanks to all, even those who we didn't read there, that have decided to sign up and stand with us since we came to you last time. Again, republican.org forward slash join. It takes mere seconds, Chels. Welcome to the family, friends. (laughs) Welcome to the family. So with that said, Chels, don't forget a new episode drops on Tuesdays from the Eco Right Speaks podcast, whether you listen to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, wherever it is you get your podcast, just search Eco Right Speaks and hit that subscribe button, and you will have a new episode brought to your smartphone, pad, tablet, uh, laptop, wherever it is you listen to us, it will be delivered right to you on Tuesday. So until next week, Chels, we will talk to you then, my friend. Keep on running, Price, or biking, whichever it is. 
Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader.